Welcome back to The Film Experience. I'm your host, Nathaniel Rogers. As you know, we're a little bit obsessed with the Oscars. So every few weeks, especially in the summer, we like to pick a specific Oscar vintage and investigate. Um, and we do this through the supporting actress category because A, it's fun, and B, best picture is discussed probably too often. Plus, you can learn a lot about any film year from the actresses involved and the, role, the type of roles that they played. Our topic this time is 1947. Now, the Best Picture winner, Gentleman's Agreement, an anti-Semitic drama, had two Best Supporting Actress nominees, Anne Revere and Celeste Holm, who eventually won the Oscar. So we'll be discussing those two, as well as Gloria Graham in Crossfire, Marjorie Maine in The Egg and I, and Ethel Barrymore in an early Hitchcock, The Paradigm Case. And without further ado, let's just get right to the panel. We'll let them talk for themselves, but we're really excited to have on board this time culture critic Angelica Jade Bastian from Vulture, lyricist and librettist Thomas Miser, who worked on the latest season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, actor Patrick Vale, who played Judd in the Tony-winning revival of Oklahoma, and returning guest, Emmy winner Dana Delaney. Welcome, everyone, to the SmackDown of 47. I'm very excited to welcome back Dana Delaney. Hey, hi. Happy to be here. And why did you want to do 47? Well, because there's nothing else to do right now. <laughs> 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 and all, all I'm doing is watching movies anyway, so I might as well have a focus to it. But, you know, I loved doing the SmackDown last time, so happy to be back. Yeah. And another uh, repeat guest, Angelica Jade Bastian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Be, I'm happy to be back. And I apologize in advance if you guys hear a cat. <laughs> Professor Bud Cassidy is a little bit chatty, but he'll stop once he gets used to the fact that I'm using. I think like I use a certain voice when I'm talking to people over the phone, and for some reason he reacts to that a lot. I, they, have, they both have movie names, right? Yeah, so it's Professor Butch Cassidy, and then my other cat is Paul Newman. I'm a big Paul Newman fan. I love it. And why did you want to do 47? Because I love the 40s. And obviously, my girl, Gloria Graham, in the lineup, I got a rep for her. No, no, she's my girl. She's my uh, girl. I wrote a biopic on Gloria Graham in college. It is one of my professional goals to make it happen. Like, I... Well, I met Gloria Graham. So. I can't do that. <gasps> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, a um, and then we have uh, Patrick Vale, who fresh off Oklahoma on Broadway. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, why did you agree to do it? Why were you interested in this? Well, I because I have an obsession with Gloria Graham. Everybody else. <laughs> um, but also because I was really, because I was right off of Oklahoma, of course, Celeste Holm was the gal who originated the role of Ada Wayne on Broadway in 1945, on 1944, excuse me. But then Gloria Graham did the movie. So I thought, why not put these two gals up against each other? And I wanted to see these movies, which I'd never seen before. Great. And then we have Tom Miser of hey. the songwriting duo Miser and Moore. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, Thomas, like, why did you? Why were you interested in Forty Seven? It was sort of a two-pronged thing for me. Uh, I got into movies as a Hitchcock person, 
as a kid and Paradigm Case somehow I missed. I never saw it. And I saw this on the list and was like, oh, this is a great reason to catch up. And also we're working on a musical right now that's sort of a noir thriller. And when I saw Crossfire, I was like, oh, okay. I want to see some of that. I want to see some other uh, stuff from the era of sort of noir thriller. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm very happy to have all of you here today. Um, and I think we have to start with something very obvious. Um, two of our, so 50%, there's only four movies this time. 50% of the movies are about anti-Semitism. <laughs> so I think that's the obvious place to start. And does anybody have any feelings about who, which movie handled this best? They're both very direct about the fact that that's their topic, Crossfire and Gentleman's Agreement. Um, so that they're, they're not, hiding it it's not subtle um so do you have any strong feelings about which movie uh executed that best my personal taste is crossfire um i feel like even though it had a, a gentleman's agreement has a moss heart script i feel like in retrospect it's a little heavy-handed especially with gregory peck saying i'll be a jewish <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little much at that point but i just i like the fact that crossfire um you just see the behavior more than talking about it and i also found it fascinating which i did not know that in the original book the, what was it called the brick foxhole that richard brooks wrote that it was really about homosexuals not mm. uh gay guys so I thought wow that adds a whole nother twist to it which you can kind of sense when you watch the movie so I thought it was more layered more subtle that I like that version better I definitely felt like the the ghost of this of the novel the homosexual aspect of it was so apparent to me in the beginning I thought are we really going to go there with this and uh, sort of I wish they could have gone there because that's a fascinating way to sort of get at that that idea of hating someone before you even know them. I just thought that was fascinating in that film. Well, I didn't even, I didn't even know this about these. I didn't do a lot of research on the movies beforehand. I just put them on. Um, so this is interesting for me to hear because that was also the subtext of the Hitchcock we watched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, I found a crossfire. That's, that's interesting because I didn't know that either. But the first thing that I started to think right at the very beginning was, wait a minute, what? And yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, the way that first it. scene is shot with the, right? with the guys in the place. And it felt like some sort of, you know, you could see it being shot today with some guy being picked up on an app. And showing oh, up oh, like, God, totally. Yeah, 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 it felt like very, that. like sort of gay panic. Yeah. And because there was a question at the time of why would all these men go up to this guy's room for a drink? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were they doing up there? <laughs> I think the other thing that I wanted to sort of, when you, you talk about the anti-Semitism is that it kept hitting me that this is only a couple of years after World War II. Clearly people are talking, the Holocaust is like right there in everyone's mind. Mm. And yet there's not a mention anywhere. That I think in either film, is there anything that even no. approaches that? So. No, the only thing is that I do appreciate in Crossfire this sort of a vague reference to PTSD that obviously the young soldier is dealing mm -hmm. with, how do, I, how do I live now? And then the Jewish character Samuel says, you know, we are all going through that. You find out he was a soldier too. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there's that reference of how war affects you. But you're right, in Gentleman's Agreement, it's, it's very shiny and bright, I think, Gentleman's Agreement. It feels a little bit Broadway to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 
can totally see that. I really didn't care for Gentleman's Agreement. I thought it was just so blunt. And yeah. I just felt the performances were kind of like, I mean, I enjoyed um, Celeste Holmes and and kind of her, her energy going on. You know, she has a kind of a spunky, bright energy. But for the most part, I was really, I found that movie very rote in how it approached topics such as like hating a person and why you hate a person and it just felt there's also like there's something uncomfortable about the idea of oh I'm gonna just go take on this identity and I'm gonna Mm -hmm. understand everything in this brief amount of time and I can kind of unpack it I was just like (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's even that line. There's even that line that his friend says to him of like, "Now you've got it all." After mm-hmm. like a couple of months of doing that. Oh, I, I, yeah. I wondered what John Garfield was thinking when he said that because he comes from actual Jewish stock. So I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder what he was thinking, like saying that line. Like, yeah, now you got it. That that's pretty much it. So you understand hate now when I guess uh, you can write your article. It's like, yeah, no, no, son. I then don't think it works like that. Evidently, yeah. John Garfield actually wanted to be in the movie. Like mm. he said, I, I will take the lesser role because you're mm. dealing with this issue. But to me, he steals the movie. Oh, I think totally. the movie is John Garfield. He's fantastic he's, yeah. in it. He's amazing. I love John Garfield. This is going to sound kind of weird because I'm a black woman, but like if, Anytime I imagine, like, what would my life look like as a movie? There's something about John Garfield's energy I really, like, feel reflects me and, like, his intensity. <laughs> and so I sometimes imagine John Garfield playing me. I hope you live longer than John Garfield. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, what a sad end. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I love what people wrote about Celeste Holm because I think she's so <laughs> great in this but everybody, uh, everybody was mentioning that you know like Dana you called her shiny and bright and and Angelica just used that word too about bright and and uh Patrick you mentioned her swagger which is a perfect mm. word and and Tom I love what you said about the seeds of sex in the city <laughs> you, get, <laughs> I, you get all these totally. things from that performance so it almost feels like a <laughs> performance that became its own franchise like like a new type you know yeah yeah i was sort of really struck by the way that in particular the women were directed in gentlemen's agreement i found that like i think kazan is so great obviously with actors that's nothing new but they seem to sort of so be on like this one track that whether that that they never waver from i mean the movie is happening all around them and it's sort of overly earnest and plotting and like okay but um they are so good I think mm-hmm. and especially when Celeste Holm has that speech at the end it's mm-hmm. this sort of amazing just naked ambition and sex and she's cool she's yeah she's really good yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean I, I was I had seen this once before and the other mm-hmm. movies were new to me I hadn't actually seen any of them other than Gentleman's Agreement and I was more impressed this time with Gentleman's Agreement than I'd remembered. Like, I remembered it being clunky, but I didn't mm. remember how good the performances are within the clunkiness. Yeah. You know, because they're given this, like, very, you know, blunt oh stuff to play, but most of them are really good in the movie. Yeah, yeah and I, like, I have to speak up. Sorry, I have to speak up for Anne Revere, who I, yeah. I actually really dug in this movie. I thought she's given that 
just that almost impossible speech at the end. And yeah. yet there's something going on in her that I, there's a history there. She brings a history. There's a, a charge of, I think I've said, you know, you can see bread lines in her eyes. Like there's, mm. just, there's something going on there that gives her more interesting past and action than I think that character even on the page has. So yeah, she has, a, she has a natural intensity as a performer, yeah. and I, I said this to, to Nathaniel when I wrote my thing. It just drives me crazy that four years later she was blacklisted, mm. and Kazan oh. named names, and, and she didn't work for 20 years. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, uh, and that whole speech she gives about it's going to be a new world mm. for everybody. It's going to be everybody's world. I'm like, no, no. Oh. Yeah, it's devastating to sort yeah. of think about how robbed we are of what we could have gotten from her. Well, especially okay. from from this movie to that history with Kazan and her is <laughs> it's insane. It's a very rough uh, rough PS to this movie. And the yeah. same thing with the uh, how do you say it? Cytomac? Is that how you say it? No, uh, the director of Crossfire. I never pronounced it right. Is it Edward Dimitric? Dimitric. Dimitric. Mm. I always get those names confused. Dimitric. He also was blacklisted. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. As was the producer, Adrian Scott. So it's like these people who wanted mm. to take on these social issues that got punished for it. Mm. And didn't even, in case Crossfire, didn't even get Oscar rewards for it. I know. <laughs> didn't even have that, uh, that short-lived. Um. Now, Dana, you mentioned you wanted, you, you said you just wanted to mention that you thought Dorothy McGuire was underrated. And I wonder if you want to expound on that, why you think that. <laughs> I do. I feel like she always gives such a subtle performance that sometimes she doesn't get credit for it because you could see her really reasoning this out, trying to figure it out, trying to be thoughtful. And I know she's the white Connecticut girl, but being a white Connecticut girl, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kind of I saw her going through it and really trying to figure it out in an honest mm. way. And, and I just really think she gave a lovely performance. And I do want to say, being from Connecticut and moving there in 1958, um, when I was two, um, Darian and, and uh, New Canaan were the towns next to my town. I was from Stanford. And Stanford was the town where Jews were allowed. Like, that was the place where Jews could go. It was kind of created mm -hmm. around that. So I think 75% of my friends were Jewish, you know, and that was in the 50s. So there were different mm -hmm. little pockets like that mm. crazy times i also want to say that june havoc i think is fantastic in yes. gentlemen's agreement yes. she is so good and so precise and that scene where she sort of trips on her words is just excellent 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 stuff yeah i mean i i that's one the reason i wanted to bring up the performances in general is like they're dealing with even though the movie is clumsy mm. The performances I do not think are clumsy at all. Somehow this dichotomy, right. like they're really dealing with thorny things within the, their characterizations, especially mm -hmm. Dorothy McGuire. I think cause she ends up being kind of the villain, even though she <laughs> starts as the heroine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's this, it's I, to me it's an interesting thing that the actors are able to rise so far above maybe the screenplay. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think in a way almost like they the female characters rise above Gregory Peck hectoring them. Like there's something yeah. that he comes yeah. out that was sort of stentorian, like I am right. And they all have more complex things going on that he doesn't. Yeah. 
I, I hate to say this. I know it's not a popular opinion, but I think that's Gregory Peck. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm not a big Gregory Peck fan. He's like, kind of a stiff. Yeah, he, he doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I think that he was really well used in To Kill a Mockingbird. I think it was mm. very well directed in that by Richard Brooks. Isn't it Richard Brooks, I think, who wrote the book? Um, the uh, book that Crossfire is based on. But anyway, um, yes, he's playing the lawyer role, you know, kind of, in Gentleman's Agreement. He's a writer. Yeah. But it's the same kind of role, but it worked to better advantage in Mockingbird. Yeah, mm -hmm. so one of my bullet points for discussion, I guess, Dana and Angelica <laughs> are not on my side, but I was like, I am. 50% of these movies star Gregory Peck, and he is so gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> He's so gorgeous in Gentleman's Agreement, it's distracting, frankly, from the story, because, yeah. you know, anyway. That's interesting, because I thought he was, like, I wrote my first note in Parodying Case was, oh my god, Gregory Peck is hot. <laughs> with the gray streaks. Yeah, with the grace. Yes. Oh all yeah. And somehow he was uh fitted with suits that were less sort of all shoulder, which they mm -hmm. tended with him. They made him a little sleeker in that movie. And I was like, Oh my gosh, hello. <laughs> well he's also so seduced in parody in case, like watching him sort of fall under her spell is just it's he's very, very good at that. Well, I think even in Gentleman's Agreement, he he does the like sort of falling in love really well because the way he looks at Dorothy McGuire or whatever. So even though he's stiff in some ways in the in the roles and the roles are kind of stiff roles, he's very mm -hmm. good at the romantic angles of being a leading man. Yes, you can tell he really likes women, which is a nice yeah. thing to see. <laughs> That's always screen. nice. Yeah, and in real life, you want to see more of it. <laughs> and I I think Gregory Peck was a outstanding human being mm -hmm. you know and I, evidently um Celeste Tom said that he was not fun to play with and I think it's because he just takes things very seriously you know oh and it for shows. sure um so I I wanted to say I I hadn't seen any of these except for Gentleman's Scream of a Paradigm case I fell so hard in love with and I'd always heard it was sort of like IMDb. It has like a six rating or something. Yeah. Never hear anyone talk about it. And I loved it so much. I thought it was so psychosexual and nutty and weird. And the camera work was so interesting. And the characters, there was just so much craziness mm. just right under the surface about what all the characters are going through. So did, did you guys love it also? Or was that just me having a, oh, my God? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't care it. for it. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. I watched it on a rainy morning, so it sort of worked out well for me. I, you didn't yeah, care I, for it, Angelica? Mm -mm. I didn't care for it. Like, there's something about, Cassidy, please don't do that. There's something about that dynamic of you have a woman who can either be the Madonna or the whore, and they're kind of like, it's, and depending on who's looking at her, it shifts, and your allegiances shift. I feel like that sort of storyline, you have to be very careful for me before you fall into certain gender politics. I find a little, I don't know, like I kind of bristle against and I wasn't mm -hmm. as taken by the plotting and the story enough to, I think, ignore those aspects that bothered me, if that makes sense. I don't, mm -hmm. it's still really fresh in my mind. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also it bothered me just because I read about it that Selznick took it away from Hitchcock, and I think you can yeah. tell. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, I the, think so too. The, the music is over the top, and that yeah. that that panning shot where he's in her room and looking at her underwear and her things, and he practically has an orgasm by the end. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of Actually, yeah, I I felt like the script. I just want everyone to stop talking. Just let the camera do it. Let these actors mm. do it because. The dialogue drove me nuts, especially the first half hour. I was like, oh, gosh, are we going to get to this? And then it picked up some steam later. But let Hitchcock, let his camera do the work and mm. stop talking so much. Yeah, the way the camera interacted with Valet, I forget her name in the movie, but the, the murder suspect, yeah. was she, amazing. So that it would block out certain other people by the way it would move. And, you know, that was stunning. And she's so... she was aware of where people were in the room, even when she wasn't looking at them. It was amazing. And she's so amazing to watch on camera. And I was uh, sort of distracted sometimes being like, where do I know her from? And then I looked her up and she was Miss Tanner in the Argento Suspiria. Oh, right. 77. So like then the second I figured that out, I was like, oh, this woman has darkness to her. And she's so (laughs) fascinating to watch. Just be still in this movie. I really, I I was fascinated by her. Mm -hmm. So, but everybody thinks it's minor Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah, I hate saying stuff like that, though. I feel mm. like talking about directors like that, I don't know, it feels limiting because I also feel like, yeah, hell yeah, experience a movie if you get a chance. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. there's, you know, we're obviously split on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, so that shows that there, it's eliciting some sort of reaction <laughs> from us. So it's worthwhile. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. maybe minor Hitchcock, but... Don't let that deter you necessarily from forming your own opinion. Yeah, and Louis Jordan is really cool, I think, in it. There you go. Film debut for him, Louis Jordan. Yeah. There's a great quote I looked up that uh, Hitchcock, talking about the movie later, said he shouldn't have cast him because he was too pretty. He should have been <laughs> like a, a sort of gruff, horrible, like, you know, stereotype of oh. a working class guy. Which shows you Hitchcock, you know, what his brain <laughs> was. But uh, I can't imagine it without that sort of attractive Louis Jardin yeah. staring at. I kind of wanted he and Peck to kiss at one point. It was just mm. the, the tension. Oh, yeah, their, their competition scene. We were literally in the living room, my roommate and I, going, kiss him, kiss him. <laughs> profiles were like, like so yeah. close to each other. Yeah, and plus, we were like him. playing gay because it took a while for the movie to get there. Yeah. Uh, I love Charles Lawton in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Their, their relationship, him and Ethel Barrymore, I mean, as, as I said, you know, Tanya, you know, I guess her two big scenes got cut out. But the, oh, yeah, the, I, I didn't know that until you said that. I had yeah, oh, the, okay. the, that explains the, the, the Academy saw the longer version that had 15 minutes that Selznick cut out. Oh, wow. So they saw oh. that version. But That's I think it in works. Scenes. I want to see that. Evidently, they, it's at a museum, and she's pleading for him to let her off, and she's coughing a lot, and that's why he doesn't let her go into the courtroom because of her coughing, which is bullshit. But I thought <laughs> that was such a great illustration of an abusive relationship. Yeah. And she really pulled that off in a couple of moments, and, and he was such a sadist. I mean, they really got it across. Yeah, mm-hmm. she has, like, a nervous energy from the beginning. Like, she's always worried about tripping up. Yeah. And it's just, like, it was a lot. I was like, okay, this whole there's a whole other movie happening here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we just focus on that corner. 
Well, that that's one th- that's I think one of the reasons I responded to it so so much is that it felt like you could follow any of those characters in their movies would be interesting. Including, mm-hmm. I forget her name, but the the other supporting supporting female who's always commenting on the trial. Oh, I loved she her. Oh, yeah. yeah. John Tetzel. I looked her up. Yeah. John yeah. yeah, she was great. Yeah, I wanted a movie about her. I'm like, give her a franchise about all the <laughs> stuff she knows yeah. that she doesn't get to use. <laughs> she was cool. Yeah. Um, I the, the performance that Ethel Barrymore's reminded me of, weirdly, was Vanessa Redgrave and Howard's End. There was, uh, like, mm-hmm. sort of, like, oh. gossamer quality of, like, you... Is she really like all mentally there? Mm-hmm. But you know, she knows a lot about what other people in the room are, what their issues are. Totally. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, but there just wasn't enough of her. So hearing like Dana, when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Cause I was like, I know that the Academy was obsessed with Ethel Barrymore in the 40s, but I was watching and I'm like, she has two scenes and they're even yeah. really short scenes. Yeah, that was, I, it reminded me of that. I think I wrote about this, that um, the Ellen Burstyn nomination for 14 seconds for the Emmy, like it just had, I was sort of, she's so good. That's undeniable. She's fascinating and like majestic, but yeah, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. Yeah. And um, so w- before we move on from, from these movies, um, I realized we sort of, other than our everybody loving Gloria Graham and in our intros, we didn't really talk about her in Crossfire. Oh, but Tom, I, Thomas, I just wanted to say your your little comment about that there's so much performance within the performance going on. If you can expound on that, because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, what I loved is she's got so much, she's playing so many roles, and she's aware of the role she's having to play, like both to seduce people to make money and for her crazy husband, lover, pimp guy, whatever that is. Mm. She's just performing for everybody because she's just trying to survive. You get all that energy every time I see her and I just want to know one more. I want to follow her more. Mm. And yeah, it just feels like she's, I think she's performing for her life and every scene. You just get that sense of Mm. intensity of stakes. I do love that she's introduced in sort of like this dreamy way, like Mm -hmm. she's real, but then Mm -hmm. Then Gloria is she's such she's so specific with her choices that you feel immediately oh this is a real person but who is also projecting herself as a dream to people mm-hmm. that was a really cool performance and mm-hmm. the way she the way she every once in a while you just see the girl she was peek through these little moments mm-hmm. like oh there's that midwestern girl ah and to pull mm-hmm. that off I I think is kind of extraordinary yeah I love the slightly sullen quality Gloria has. Like, which sort of, I think, travels throughout a lot of her work. But there's a sense that this is a woman who knows a life well lived and like she's really lived it and sometimes to the bone. And and I, I like what you guys are talking about, about this, like the layers of performance. I think that's very true to her best work. And I think, you know, she's such a like breath of fresh air in this movie, like there's something, and I really enjoy Crossfire. This is like my third or fourth time seeing it. I haven't seen it like since college. Um, but it was interesting to return to it and like see these different like noir figures. You have like, of course, Robert Ryan and like whose energy is very specific. Um, and like she, even though her part isn't big and it could, it could also be played so on one level of like, oh, this is just 
some woman on the make who's just like a smart city gal sort of thing. Like it could be very played, played very one note, but she finds like the humanity in this character, the vulnerability. She, she walks in a way that shows sometimes how bored she is with life, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I was like, damn, I feel you right now on that, Gloria. Like the boredom, <laughs> like I'm not like necessarily bored, bored, but I'm bored with just being with myself mm-hmm. <laughs> on that level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just yeah. like living alone is not not the business right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just like I'm just in awe of, of Gloria Graham and all she can imbue in a performance, and and you can tell she cares for her characters and like understands them on a very deep level and doesn't judge them for the choices they make. Mm-hmm. And I find that very beautiful because I feel a lot of times where you have characters like this, it's very easy for you to sense that like the actor is almost talking down to the character and doesn't like there's a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Gloria just feels just real in a way that's just like, you can totally imagine this woman's life beyond the, the frame of the film. Yeah. yeah. Now, Dana, I know she's your favorite actress, too. So, like, when was, was this the movie that made you fall in love with her, or was it another? No, I when I was a kid, I used to come home and watch the 4.30 movie every day after school. And um, I think I first saw her, probably in Oklahoma, was the first thing I saw her in, on TV. And then I just became, I think I was, like, nine, and I was like, she's my favorite actress. And I just became <laughs> obsessed with her and started, you know, seeing everything I could, which was hard to find at that age, yeah. you know. Um, and then I, um, you know, in a lonely place before anybody liked in a lonely place. I was in high school when I was like found it and all that stuff. But I was in New York just to tell my little story of meeting her. I was in New York and I was going to a makeup session like on Ninth Avenue. I was, I think, 24, 25 years old. And it was on this. You know, in that film building on Ninth Avenue, it's called the Film Something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that film building. Center building. Yeah, yeah. that building. Mm-hmm. I was like, like I'm on the fourth floor in this tiny room, and it was like a makeup line, and they were going to teach you how to use it. And the teacher was late, and then this woman comes in. I had a corner of my eye, she's wearing tight leather pants and a angora sweater. And I looked over, and then I saw the lips, and I went, <gasps> I'm like, why is she here? She knows how to put on makeup, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then I was so freaked out that it was her. And um, she was 56 at the time. It was right before she got sick, Mm. before she got the cancer. She died like nine months later. And um, so we, the teacher never shows up. So we all leave and we get in the elevator. It's just her and me in the elevator. And I was so nervous. I didn't, couldn't say anything. And we just talked about Lauren Bacall in her performance of Woman of the Year on Broadway, which we had both seen. And we were talking about how great Lauren Bacall was. <laughs> and then we got out of the elevator and went, bye, nice to meet you. And that was it. Oh, so you never, you never told her. Oh, wow. I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's such a sweet story. <laughs> oh, it just, it like made my life. <laughs> so since but you met her love. at that point in her life, did you watch the Annette Benning biopic? Because it's about mm. that time period. All right, to be totally honest, I read the book, of course, yeah. and um, I couldn't watch it because I was too jealous that she got to play her. 
Mm. I really felt like I shouldn't play that part. Mm. I will watch it one day, but it's just one of those things I can't watch yet, you know? Yeah. But I, I do want to say about um, Gloria and this movie, and also how it pertains to the other movies you saw, you know, she has, like you said, Angela, she's got this unsentimentality about mm. her that I mm. think is so modern, and she's always had that. And because it's 1947, all the other women in the movies, including Egg and I, it's all so so often it's about how to manage the men. All the women have to how do we figure out how to handle the men without them knowing that we're handling them, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you really get that sense like during the war, they were in charge. The women were in charge. They were working, they were running things, and then the men come back from the war and say, Oh, now it's the fifties soon we have to be, you know, nice women and not, yeah. you know, overpower them. And Gloria doesn't do any of that. She basically says, you know, I make my own money. I don't answer to anybody. Nobody owns me. And I love that guy who plays her husband because it was like some Beckett scene. It was some existential scene out of Beckett. What was that? That was fantastic. When the the direction takes us down the staircase there and you're sort of looking back up and he's still talking about her. Mm. Yeah. We're going to be here. It's like, a window to this really fucked up movie that I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Between the two of them. As someone who's like, I, you guys are such huge fans. I, I knew her from Oklahoma, but that's all I've ever seen. What should I see next? What's the In game? a Lonely Play. In a Lonely Play. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first movie I ever saw her in was In a Lonely Place. A friend of mine, and when I was in high school, told me to watch it. And I had never heard of her. I had never didn't know anything, and I was completely sort of mesmerized by her in that. And then ever since then, I've just become a, just, I think she's so modern is exactly the thing. She totally. never talks down to any character she's playing. And in Oklahoma, actually, when, I, when you watch her sing Can't Say No, she is so patient with her comedy. She just makes this choice, sticks with it and then watches it sort of bloom in front of her. And it's so good. And I think what she does in this movie is pretty stunning and hostile. There's a hostility that she has towards everybody that is so earned and so lived in and her, she's so bruised. And that gives her this kind of power that I don't know how she does it. She's, it's amazing. Yeah, because that the the hostility that you're talking about that's there in because I have seen performances like that where the character is a, hu- a huge turnoff. Yeah, you're just like to the actor, you're just like dial it back a little. <laughs> but yeah. with her, it's like maybe it's because it's earned, like you're saying. Yeah. that I didn't have that. I instead I just want to get through to her or something. Yeah, like, she's instinct, so like you want to get close, even though you know she would probably hate you too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that moment when she says, "I haven't danced in two years," and then he says, "Why?" and she looks at him and she says, "Because I haven't," and it's so <laughs> amazing. It actually reminds me of your performance in Oklahoma oh that you God. did. Thank no, it was very, you had that same quality where you fell in love with, with Jen because of you, how you played it. Oh, and I did not you. fall in love with Rod Steiger, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've worked oh, yeah. with him, and he's an oh. asshole. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, okay, we have to talk about the total anomaly we watched, The Egg and I. Okay, I fucking hate this movie, and I can't believe I had to watch this shit, Nathaniel. Sorry. <laughs> Just wanted to say that up front. 
I was so thrown from the very first scene where Claudette turns to the camera and like, you know, oh my God. I'm going to tell you about the egg and I and chickens. And I was like, what am I watching? Oh my God. And that poor Porter is on his knees going, okay, lady. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, at least it lets you know what it's going to be right from the beginning. It's going to be like stereotypes and, oh gosh. Oof. Yeah. Woo. Well, I, Patrick, since I knew you were doing this, I could yeah. but think of you during this movie because of Oklahoma. Well, I know. I <laughs> was sort of like, like, place there. I think I was sort of like delighted by some of the sort of bounciness of it and the sort of, it was so strange that this, well, first the title, but everything in it just kept unfolding in this sort of bizarre way that I sort of was delighted by at times. Like I really, I thought Marjorie Maine was very fun. She scratches her boob for like 20 seconds in the beginning <laughs> of her first scene. And I just like was laughing so much because I was sort of so perplexed and charmed by that. <laughs> and then, um, that that horny woman who lives down the road in the rich farm. <laughs> and she has that line where she says, well, you haven't seen anything yet. Come to my barn and I'll show you my speckled Sussex. And <laughs> I, I just was sort of like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, yeah. And what was, what was going on between Claudette Colbert and the youngest, the youngest son, the um, Richard Long, oh. yeah. Hi. I mean, uh, hello, hello. They're, they're seen together. I was like, oh, this is a whole other movie about to happen. And how did he? How did he come from Montauk at all? <laughs> like, what? What are the genetic factors that 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 man would come from? That. Yeah. So many questions. So perplexed. <laughs> so well, then it became a franchise, like the Montauk kettle, like yeah. six movies or something. Nine movies and, and Pa Kettle dropped out after it was Mom Pa Kettle go to Waikiki. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. That blows my mind that this became a franchise, but it was obviously based on a, already a bestseller because, right. you know, the way they sell that beginning, it's like you're already in the know about it. But of course, now, like 70 or, or 80, however many years ago this was. Um, right. I can't do math. 1947. Anyway, a long time ago. <laughs> um, it it seems like you're supposed to know what this is, and you're supposed to be laughing along with it because you've read the yeah. book or something. Mm. Well, and yeah. then at the end when she says, I ought to write a book. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, the couple shouldn't be I'm together. Like, I'm so sorry. You're just, like, speaking your head. <laughs> it's just, like, but then also, like, watching this movie, I was like, you know, this is why I believe marriage is a prison. This dude, this dude, from the very beginning, it lost me at the very beginning. Fred McMurray, I don't find him hot, so I would be like, I'm already having problems with this marriage. Like, do better. But, like, <laughs> he decides to change their entire life and does not consult his wife. He's like, oh, you know, why don't we move out to rural wherever uproot our lives and start a chicken farm and I'm just going to tell you and like you're just supposed to be cool with it I was like what I was like and then seeing her have to smile through like these humiliating hijinks I was just yeah. like is this hell this is like <laughs> hell to me like it, oh my god I feel like I'm gonna have a nightmare where I'm in this movie and surrounded by chicks and like things are on fire and then there's you know 
thousands of kids because mom and pa like they have a lot of children like like oh my god like what yeah. what has happened <laughs> like there is a cut of that film that is Virginia Woolf like she took the baby from him for a year. A year. Yeah, a year. Yeah, I'm like, did they like, did they not have telephones? Like, I get in old movies sometimes that the cell phones didn't exist, but they had telephones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or even just the postal service. It's right. a year. I, I would like to point out that that the woman who wrote the book that was her first husband that marriage did not last. Uh-oh. <laughs> And also, what I read that cracked me up was, you know, the whole Kettle family were based mm. on real people in Oregon. And uh, when the book and the movies were huge hits, they sued the studio for money because they said, we should be profiting off of this. This is based on us. All 10 of the children sued oh my God. <laughs> to get money off of them. And then they lost in court because um, the judge said, you've already made money off of this. You've been, you know, doing other appearances and doing all, all this based on being kettle children. So you don't get to complain about it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So they really were like that. They were, they were like <laughs> users, like hot kettle. <laughs> oh, my God. But was their oldest son as hot and did he want to be? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> oh, man. That and Claudette Colbert's uh, state fair outfit. That oh. when she comes oh. in. Just, where is that coming Did you guys, I lost it when she just handed her baby to the taxi driver. I, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, what if he runs off with the baby? What if something happens to the baby? You can't just hand your baby to strangers. What is this? You're holding this baby while I fight with my husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> They did six movies together, her and Fred McMurray. I thought they have no chemistry whatsoever. They had none. Six movies. How is that possible? Wow. What a dry dynamic. I know. (laughs) I really did enjoy, I will say, when she was walking through the house at the beginning, just looking at just this shit show that she walked into and like when the table slowly collapsed and like she's really, she's lovely. And you couldn't help but think of like this string of like I kept getting flashes of Baby Boom and Funny Farm and Money Pit and like and all Green the, Acres. Green yeah. Acres, yeah, yeah. You see all that coming, and you see the yeah. the scenes that have been stolen from. Oh God, yeah. Well, one thing we always do on the SmackDown is we recast the roles just because it's a fun mental exercise. So <laughs> I want to hear from you. You you don't since in generally speaking, reading all of your blurbs, everybody, even if you didn't like the movies, most people liked most of these five performances. So it, it doesn't have to be because you think somebody else could play it better. Just what would have been interesting to you, just pick one person in a diff- different person's role. Anybody want to start? Uh, I'll jump in. I wanted to see Anne Revere in Parroting Case. I wanted her weird intensity mm. in that movie just to see what that would do to like her angularity being thrown into into that film add a little more uh, juice to it a little mm. a little bit of danger you mean in the within the Apple Barrymore's yeah just to, <laughs> yeah well any part I just want to see her in that world but mm. see her in that role as much as I loved what Ethel Barrymore did to just to see a different take on the abuse a sort of mm. haunted like someone who had a um uh, an intelligence to it 
that you see her trying, like wanting to murder her husband, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that, that wanting to get back someday. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Dana? I think Gloria Graham should play all the other parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking she could actually play any one of the other parts in all those movies because um, she can do anything. But I'm wondering if she played the part of Celeste Holmes that, in Gentlemen's mm-hmm, Agreement. Mm-hmm. I think I would have felt more for that character. I didn't mm. have a lot of feelings for that character in Gentlemen's Agreement. I felt like everything she did was kind of plotted, you know? Mm. And I felt like Gloria Graham would have kind of had a little bit more like need in it mm. that was hu- human, you know. Mm-hmm. I totally see I that. Th- I think I would like to see Marjorie Maine in the Anne Revere part, just to see what that would be like. Oh because yeah. She like one of the things that I sort of fell in love with her in this movie for is that when she when her characters would, when her character would have an aside, rather than go to a sort of dark longing place, she would express this kind of beautiful warmth that was that was her secret and um and I would love to see her be under the direction of Kazan and see what she might do in the stillness that I think he would probably ask of her so I think I would love to see what she would do with that because I think she's pretty extraordinary mm-hmm. I would like to see Ethel Barrymore in the in the Marjorie Main role so I'm going to do the opposite <laughs> Like, uh, or no, that's not the opposite, but just because, like, with Ethel Barrymore, like, all of her roles, she's usually bedridden, and, like, (laughs) it's usually all about her dying or being, like, almost all of her Oscar roles, she's in a bed or there's something wrong with her mentally, so I would like to see her in something where she's, like, has to be really lively, like, Mm. in that, just to see what different things would have come from her performance. Mm. How about you, Angelic? Any any casting switches? I'm going to echo Dana's thoughts about having Gloria Graham in the Celeste Holm role in Gentleman's Agreement, because it would just be interesting to watch. I just would like that. (laughs) I just like, just, I just would like that (laughs) more Gloria for me. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys just want a bigger filmography for Gloria Graham. Yeah. Yeah. More, Mm -hmm. more. (laughs) I wish. Mm. And uh, Thomas, we've never had a composer on uh, on the SmackDown before, so now I have to know for you which uh, one of these things, which one of these characters would be fun to write a song for? Oh, I absolutely Gloria Graham. And I mean, I want to I want to write the musical of that relationship going on. I want that. I want. I mean, that's there's dance, there's music, there's that horn entrance. I mean, it's already she's a musical waiting to happen. That one, <laughs> dramatic musical. You mean oh, a musical gosh. about her and her weird husband in that movie? Yes, yes. I want it. That's the movie I want to write. I mean, that's the musical. It's it's too good. It's too good. I mean, you can just you mm. hear the jazz in her. You feel the jazz in her performance. That that kind of horns and, and sultry and yet human. I mean, those, those are characters you want to hear sing. Yeah. That's a great way to describe her acting jazz. It is like yeah. jazz. You don't quite know what, where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And well, like Thomas, what your your work lately? You haven't been doing like with Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Well, you haven't been doing like character pieces so much as like era pieces, right? Where you're writing for them to perform it. 
Yeah, that was the interesting about Maisel is that we usually in music theater are so character based that we had to write these sort of pop songs. But the great thing with that, not to go down that path too much, but is that Amy Sherman Palladino wanted the pop songs to reflect character and tell story at the same time. So we got to do bring our music theater world to that and also write some songs you can pony to. So I can't go wrong with that. <laughs> that makes always makes me happy. Yeah, I'm always trying in my head. The, uh, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on is that in my head, I'm always thinking about what movies could be like as musicals. If, if they only had a song here and there. <laughs> Every movie is being made into a musical right now. Let me tell you, if you name it, it is being done. Yeah. Someone is being, yeah, someone's being yeah. pitched it. Someone's yeah. doing a spec song yeah. or something. It's, it's true. It's a little sad, but some good stuff will come out of it. There's, there's mm. always some hidden yeah. gems that, we always look for those movies, kind of like that relationship in Crossfire. The best musicals come from something that uh, isn't perfect already, but something that you want more from. What can music add to it? And that's, that's the joy. Well, I think that's one of the reasons I love doing like the SmackDown is because like supporting characters to me are a window into the possibility of what any movie could be. Because if you, if the camera stays on one character for just a little bit longer, or it gives them more info, it's like it opens up a window to a whole nother movie. Mm. So to me, it's like a, it makes movies much livelier to me if I feel like in the peripheries of stuff I'm not seeing, there's, which is why I loved Gloria Graham's work so much, because I felt like I was seeing a whole nother movie. Mm. Even though she doesn't take me out of the movie, because she's totally within the specificity of that world. Totally. That's a hard balance to strike. Yeah. And she supports the, the, she's another example of the violence that's left behind, that sort of PTSD of the war. Yeah. Like she fits into the film in a, yeah. in a really smart way. Yeah. Well, because what was the book it was based on called again? Um, the Brick Foxhole. Yeah. The Brick Foxhole. Because I actually thought the Crossfire was such a great title for that movie because it really was about all these people yeah. caught up in this situation and other situations. Mm-hmm. from before the film yeah. with the PTSD stuff, especially. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, before we go, um, do you have any favorite movies of 1947 that we haven't discussed? Does anybody want to give listeners like a hint of something they would love them to see from this year? Um, I've watched Lurd, which is from 1947. If you haven't seen it, it's really fun because it's mm. early Douglas Sirk and Lucille Ball. It's fantastic in it. She, like, it's a dramatic role, but she, you can see she's just straining to be funny. Like, she, she's trying, she's not allowed to be funny, but it's right there. Her timing is impeccable. And Boris Karloff is in it, and you see him in a completely different role. Yeah, I've seen that movie. It's really, it's really interesting. It's a Douglas Sirk, right? From the yeah. 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 I would suggest, I, oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. No, no. Oh. Um, I really love The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Which That's what good. I was going to say. Oh, really? <laughs> that was my movie. It's so good. I recently saw it, actually, like, during the beginning of this time that we're in right now, and I freaking love this movie. It's so good and gorgeous and sexy and beautifully written. Mm-hmm. That's what surprises me about that movie, especially if you were a kid of the 70s, 80s like me, and you watched the sitcom that was based on it that was really oh, yeah. bad. Yeah. It, and then you see this movie, and it's, it's dark and sexy. It's real and, sexy. And has um, a sort of clarity about wanting 
that mm-hmm. is, is really lovely and interesting mm-hmm. and, and one of the most beautiful endings. I, I'm going to oh, start crying just talking yeah, about it. Yeah, it's so, so gorgeous. That's sort of my secret musical I want to write someday. Oh, that would be oh. incredible. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so good. How about you, Angelica? Um, maybe because I have Robert Mitchum on the mind and Noir. I got to go with Out of the Past. I now want to mm. kind of do a rewatch. Like mm. now that I'm thinking of it, I haven't seen it in a few years, but it's just, you know, a quintessential noir. It has like everything mm. that makes the genre so beguiling, weird sexual politics, mm-hmm. um, sexual energy, questions about masculinity. And it's also just fun. It's a fun watch. Mm-hmm. I like to watch Robert Mitchum like kind of move. I just like, he's just an actor I'd like to watch. Yeah. His energy in this actually, I think, is a really, they don't have scenes together, but such a great fit with Gloria Graham. Oh, yeah. In both cases, it's like this very unsentimental playing, but they both feel like actual people Mm -hmm. at the same time. They also both have no one in the world that's like them. They, they're, he is so unique, as is she, and so they have this sort of great thing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My 47 movie I have to recommend is Black Narcissus. Nice. Which is such a cool movie. And like the first time I thought, which was not even that long ago, it was like six or seven years ago. And I was just like, what? Where has this movie been all my life? And why hasn't everyone been saying I have to see it my whole life? <laughs> um, so that's a Powell and Pressburger movie, um, for those mm. who don't know. And uh, they did the Red Shoes as their super famous one. So. Um, yeah, it, and it's so beautiful and so weird. It's a bunch, a bunch of nuns in the Himalayas, and it's also very psychosexual, <laughs> which is the theme of the 40s, I think. People mm. couldn't say things right out, so it became like this repressed, mm-hmm. and it's always bubbling under the surface. Mm. So anyway, that's so great fun to talk to you guys about this year. What a great panel. I was so glad to have you all see us. Oh, <laughs> what a pleasure. Um, now so I have to go watch fun. Lonely Place. What? Yeah. I have to go yeah. watch in a Lonely Place now. So if we could stop, I have to go do that right now. <laughs> I envy oh, you. Oh, one one thing so I wanted to mention, did anybody have this reaction when they were watching Crossfire? Like when the first title card comes up, all three stars are named Robert? Oh, no, I've I didn't never see. seen a movie with that. Like before the title, I was like, Robert, Robert, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> All three stars. And it was nice to see Robert Young in that role. You know, he he actually was much more interesting. I only, you know, I know my father knows best the most. Yeah. So yeah. It was nice to see, wow, he could do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, this was a very cool education because I had not seen most of the, or seen three of the four. Yeah. I had only seen Crossfire. Mm-hmm. beforehand all the others were new I'm pretty sure especially the egg and I that was that was a wallow <laughs> of nowhere like, and you will never have to watch it again nobody <laughs> asked you to watch it again never again <laughs> Angelica punish you for that one <laughs> a movie that history has forgot even though it birthed a whole franchise. <laughs> yeah, like, isn't that kind of crazy to think about, like, things that spawn yeah. franchises, and, like, that's, like, a really big franchise. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, once again, um, as we say goodbye, let, uh, if everybody could let um, listeners know where they can find them and what's up next for them. Angelica Jade Bastian, thanks for joining us. Where can people find you? 
Uh, right now, you can find me in Chicago by a train that you're hearing pass by. Um, <laughs> uh, on the internet, uh, you can find me uh, at Angelica Bastian on Twitter. I'm a writer for Vulture, so that's where all my writing is. I'm going to be coming up to three years as a staff writer there. So if you want to follow my writings, which range from writing about Gloria Graham, which I have done before for Vulture, um, to my obsession with Keanu Reeves, which is probably a big one, um, to writing about mental health issues through the lens of pop culture. So you get a nice, you know, interesting genres. I love writing about classic Hollywood. So if you enjoy me on here, you'll see, you can find more of the same, like on Twitter or with my writing. Vulture is very lucky to have you, Angelica. You've been amazing since before the days of Vulture. Always worth the read. Oh, and, that's uh, so sweet. You've known me for a minute, <laughs> so that means a lot. <laughs> and Thomas Miser? Uh, you can always go to miserandmore.com. It's a miser with a Z, not miser with an S. And uh, <laughs> well, you can finish that yourself. And uh, yeah, uh, we are, there, there's an album of all our original songs from Nasal that you can listen to and stream. And uh, yeah, we're just taking the time to write some new music right now. And you're working on things you can't share with us, I know. I can't share the, yeah, the, the titles and stuff, but we're working on some stuff and hopefully, hopefully theaters will open again, please God, so we can all mm -hmm. get back together and, and mm -hmm. share. Yeah. And Patrick Vale? Um, this fall, I think it is, um, I will be on Netflix's Dash and Lily. Um, which is a new series, and in the meantime, on Instagram at Patrick Vale and Twitter, and etc. And hopefully, once we can all be back in rooms together, much, much more. So, yeah. Great. And Dana Delaney, round two. Thank you so much. Oh no, happy to be here. Oh, Patrick, I saw those trucks for Dash and Lily in my neighborhood in New York. I was wondering. Oh. Ooh, now I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I uh, have nothing going on. <laughs> Uh, you can find me at Dana Delaney on Twitter, and hopefully I have this movie I did called The American Guest about Theodore Roosevelt in Brazil, and I played Edith Roosevelt, and I'm hoping it will come out on HBO eventually, but because it was filmed in Brazil, there's a little politics involved, so oh, yes. I don't know when they're going to release it. We'll see. Yeah. Well, so we, we need more Dana Delaney, so we do. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone. Um, thanks for listening to everyone who listened and uh, watched those movies we recommended. Uh, and this was a, a, a good uh, year to investigate further.